1: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Carabao Cup to my FA Cup. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, you right? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm just amazed that you've actually asked me how I am because in 99% of episodes, you very rudely never ask me how I am and just talk about yourself. Yeah, it's when I don't have any fun stories,
0: so I may as well ask about your boring life before I go into... Well, when things aren't interesting for me. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 your boring turn this, this week. You count your other stories as interesting, do you? <laughs> I, I find them, I, I think the
1: listeners are captivated by what goes in goes on in my daily life, yeah. Go on, what was the most interesting thing you've done in the past week?
0: The past week?
1: You went to the derby game on Tuesday night, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I went a to Port Vale week. away. Port Vale away is such a strange ground, really strange ground. Because... I don't,
1: what What's their what, stadium called? I don't actually know off the top of my head.
0: Vale Park. Really original. Vale
1: Park. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How long did it take you to come up <laughs> with that one, guys? <laughs>
0: exactly. No, yeah. Strange ground. It's like the away stand. I mean, I don't know where the home stands are, but the away stand is we're set so far back, but it's, you're literally a foot above the pitch. So you can't see the other side of the pitch at all. Okay. So whilst we're like 30 yards back, we're only a foot higher than the pitch. Because the stairs are about three or four inches high, in height. It's,
1: it's a strange, strange old place. Interesting. You had two last-minute goals, didn't you? Derby 1-0 well, no, down until the 85th minute or so, and then two yeah, goals yeah. to win it. Yeah, Derby are going all right, aren't they?
0: It's, it's all right, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm actually happy. I'm content, which is interesting. Uh, I'm that just glad I do not have to talk about them this season. So, you know, well, we've already spent a good couple of minutes on this podcast talking about them already, which I'm sure will (laughs) outrage fans (laughs) for saying third tier podcast. Um, so in that case, we shall move on to talk about the second tier podcast. Welcome along, ladies and gentlemen, to the number one championship podcast Is second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're doing a preview show, but there's only three games in the championship this weekend because of FA Cup games. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a preview. Me and Justin are each going to pick a banker for the coming games in the championship this weekend. And then we'll do a quick mini Q&A. It's literally a handful of questions that's all we're going to do just because we had to pad out this episode somehow (laughs) so we thought we'd go for the Laziest option of all, which is a QA. So, so we've got a few questions that we're going to answer for you all on anything to do with the championship. We'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days as so the transfer window continue to Ragers War uh, on the second tier, and uh, then we'll finish off with Diddy or right at the end. So, as I say, let's do a quick preview of the weekend, Justin. We've only got three games, as I say. So they are Coventry v. Huddersfield, Middlesbrough v. Watford, and Hull v QPR. So which of those games have you made as your banker for the championship this weekend, Justin? I've gone with Coventry to beat Huddersfield. Um and on the face of it it doesn't really seem like a
0: banker, mainly because um mainly well mainly because Coventry's form at the minute has been well recently has been terrible. I know Huddersfield have had a game called off at the weekend, so um it's hard to really judge them as well, but they lost their previous two games for before that, winning their, winning the other two games. So yeah, it, it doesn't seem like too much of a banker but I'm going to go all out and say I think Cov will be Huddersfield and keep a clean sheet and not even consider a shot on target in this game. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Any explanation? (laughs) I mean, Huddersfield are terrible going forwards anyway. Um, And I, I fully expect Mark Robbins to fix the issues they've had defensively because they've been shedding chances. They've been shedding goals for what feels like a a long time now, after that run of you know, ridiculous run of clean sheets and barely conceding anything in, in the way of chances. Um, they've become really open, so I think Robbins is going to tighten things up massively because, as I say, they, they went 3-0 down against Wrexham in the FA Cup, 3-0 down against Norwich before kicking up a gear. Um, so they're starting games too slow, as really started to cost them. So I think they will they'll take the game to Huddersfield quite quickly. Um, and the reason why I don't think Huddersfield will create anything is because I mean we'll probably get onto it at some point. Um, they've now loaned out their best creator in, in Sorba Thomas. They have nothing interesting for them and they don't create anything from set um from open play. And their biggest creator from set of pieces is Sorber Thomas. So what can we expect from them? I know they've got Anthony Knockiart, but for me Sorba Thomas is probably a step ahead of a step ahead of him at the minute. So yeah, I, I think Coventry to be Huddersfield and, and
1: Huddersfield not even to have a shot on target. Got to be said, when we do these previews, bankers, etc., we're not forcing you to, you know, add anything more. You could have just happily said Coventry to win, uh, but you didn't have to add the shut-on-target caveat. But here just we are. It's kick, kicking the balls, isn't it? Well, you might say that. Um my banker is Middlesbrough to beat Watford at the Riverside Stadium at 3 p.m. on Saturday. This is a proper thigh rubber near the top of the Championship. In it, even if it was just a normal weekend with a full round of fixtures in the Championship, this would still be the game of the weekend. And this could very well be a playoff clash in a few months' time. But for now, it's between two teams who are in there and looking to make sure they're definitely there come May. From a neutral perspective, it makes complete sense to side with Middlesbrough. They've been strong under Michael Carrick. They've been dominating possession and making the most of the ball when they've had it, creating plenty of chances in each of their how many games it's been now under Carrick. They've won seven of the last nine. The only games they didn't win were away at Burnley and away at Sunderland in a local derby. Not bad games to lose, are they? You can let them off for not winning those games, especially when you consider they were down to 10 men for nearly half the game in the latter match. Three straight wins as well. They'll fancy their chances against a Watford side who are very hit and miss. Fortunately for the Hornets, even when they miss, they're still good enough to get something from a game, but it's been a while since I've come away from a Watford game being impressed, maybe the win against Norwich, actually, but the point remains, it doesn't happen very often. They've just come off the back of a draw against Rotherham, which, on another day, Rotherham could have very easily won, especially if Tariq Foso had his shooting boots on, because he missed an absolute sitter towards the end of the game. They've made a series of new signings this window, who have looked exciting in small glimpses, and there's still more to come. You'd have thought from those players, but the bottom line is, Middlesbrough are a more convincing side than Watford right now. So I'll go for another win for Carrick's boys, Justin. Hard to disagree,
0: um, mainly because Middlesbrough just seem a lot more comfortable, I would say. And, and I've said recently that Watford have got a lot of signings to bed in and they're going to go through um, periods where it doesn't quite happen for them. Um, I think the only thing is if if they are firing, if they are in a good mood, then it could be a sticky game for Middlesbrough. Um, but it, it, just, it, it really does depend on whether Watford... Um, I'm not switched on because I don't think that's fair, but a clicking would be the best way to describe it. It just Honestly, it just depends on whether Watford are clicking, because if they are, um, I could see Watford nicking a result, but more likely than not, Middlesbrough will be um, uh, not a step ahead, but um, just, just going into the game a lot more comfortable
1: with themselves right now than, than perhaps Watford are. Watford seem to depend a lot more on an individual sparking something, don't they? Someone like... Matthias Martins is probably the av- obvious one right now who can spark something, but we've only seen him in two sub-appearances. I oh, no, he started against Rotherham, so one and a half games so far. And he, he did spark something in uh, his debut game uh, against Blackpool, but against Rotherham he was fairly quiet. So a lot can depend on when the individuals pull something out of the bag, which, as I say, is very hit and miss with Watford. But... Definitely want to keep an eye on this week, and let's do a very small Q&A <laughs> then, Justin. As I say, we needed something else in this episode to make it listening <laughs> worthwhile too. And we'll start with this one from Daniel Muir, who asks, Which current championship player do you think is most likely to play for England? Of course, plenty of England players in the squad right now, or in the most recent squad, have been championship alumni. It's not a strange path, is it, for a Championship hmm. player to go on to play for the national side? And I'm sure there's players in the Championship right now who will go on to play for England. So who do you think is the most likely, JP?
0: The obvious one is Alex Scott, isn't it? Um, but if I wasn't going to pick the obvious one, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe venture towards Dan Neil at Sunderland. Maybe not most likely, but certainly I think he will be in contention for the England squad if he continues his current trajectory. Um, he's a player that can dictate games. He's just twenty-one years old as well, which is not really it's it's very young for a midfielder, um in, in his description, you know, he's, he's he's sitting in front of the back four, he's he's well back three, back four sitting in front of the defence, he's controlling games, he's dictating games, he's got an eye for a pass, obviously he's he's a very good tempo setter in that Sundon team and I think under Tony Mowbray especially, he's one of those players that can really start to kick on and develop you know, massively in the next year or two. Um, and certainly Southern, I think will be, will be, um, it'll, you know, it might be tricky to, to, keep hold of him just because again, his current trajectory, he's settled into this championship, championship season brilliantly. Um, and although he, you know, doesn't score many or, or you know, or assist many. Yeah. You know, I think he sits in that Ollie Norwood category of a player who can control games really neat and tidy passer. And certainly one, I think I, I think can develop massively over the next couple of years to, to, become a a player who's going to be in contention for the England squad
1: yeah I've been really impressed with Neil this season I didn't know too much about him when um, obviously Sunderland came back to the Championship this season but he has been a stand-up player on numerous occasions of course you've got the headline grabbers like your Ross Stewart, your Diallo's, but Neil does all the work that doesn't get noticed and even then is still getting a fair amount of praise from the Sunderland faithful so I've been really impressed with him this season as you say still so very young and uh, I see, I can see a bright future for this lad because I've been enormously impressed with him. I'm going for Taylor Harwood-Bellis who is someone I've raved about numerous occasions on this podcast but I'm going to do it again because I love the guy. <laughs> this is Justin's most hated cliche from my big bag of mm. cliches but I think he can accept this one for old THB. He is a Rolls-Royce defender because when I watch this guy, I cannot believe he is only 20 years old. I can't recall a championship defender who's been all of these three things. As composed as him, as good with the ball as him, and as good at the defensive side of the game as him. And for someone to be doing that when they're just 20 is remarkable. Can't even drive in America yet, Justin. Um, Burnley have been playing beautiful Drink. football, but they've also... Sorry? Drink. Drink? I thought... Well, I you could drive at 16. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know my American law. Do I look like I know it? Uh, Anyway, uh, Burnley have been playing beautiful football this season, but he's also been a defensive rock. And that's been down to Harwood Bellis and his great partnership with Jordan Bayer. He's in the top 10 championship players for interceptions per game, shots blocked per game. He's also in the top 10 for most progressive passes and passes per game. Just a beautiful defender to watch. And with regards to the England side of things, we're not exactly flushed for great centre-halves, are we, right now? He can be the answer to that in the next few years. And a lot will depend on where he's playing football next season. It should be regularly in the Premier League, but some of that will depend on how much Pep rates him at City. passing my mind back to Levi Colwell, who I thought would be a strong England player um, in the coming seasons, but obviously hasn't had much of a chance in the Premier League this season. So the same might happen to Harwood Bellis, but whatever the case, I said before that the only player I've seen in the Championship, I've been more convinced about playing for England than Harwood Bellis was Jude Bellingham. And that still stands because Harwood Harwood Bellis is your modern day centre-half and is so good at everything you need to be your modern day centre half. He's got everything in his locker to be an elite defender. I'm a big fan of this guy and fingers crossed he does play regular Premier League football next season because it'll be a massive waste if he's not. Brett M Foote wants to know who is the most underrated player in the championship. What have you got, JP? I get cold sweats answering these questions.
0: Um mainly Why? because if Mainly because if you pick a player who everyone picks is underrated, and all the underrated, and he, you just cause chaos on online. And it's like, well, yeah. oh, this player is underrated. This player is underrated. So I'm just, I'm just going to throw a line in there. I, I've got two in my mind that I wanted to throw out. The first one is Colton Morris, mainly because I just don't think people rate him in highly enough as one of the best strikers in this division. Um, as far as forwards go, I'm, not, I'm going to ignore his record at the moment. As far as forwards go. He can score with his head. He can score with his right foot. He can score with his left foot. When he gets the ball, um, you know, between a centre half and a full back, he'll do a step over, shift it onto his left foot, and finish into that bottom corner. He is ruthlessly efficient, and I've said so much about him over the last sort of eighteen months, two years. Um, but I rate him as uh, you know as highly as some of the forwards we've had in this league. Maybe not Mitrovic, Tony levels, but he's certainly. Certainly, in a category of a player who should be considered one of the best forwards in this league, I just don't think people rate him enough. Even just looking at his goal record this season, he's got 11 in 26, he's got five assists as well, so his link up play is great. Um, he's just an all round outstanding footballer. Um, who again, two million pounds, two and a half million pounds, whatever it was, Luton paid for him. It's an absolute snip. There's so many clubs that should have been in for him. Um, but Luton Luton got in there first, an absolutely fair play, it's an astute signing. I think the only thing that frustrates me is he's 27, so he's a late bloomer. You know, I want to see more of him, um, and you know, hopefully we do. But yeah, what a player. I Another mean, player is Josh
1: Brownhill, um, but I think I've I've said enough on Cotton Morris to to throw in there. Is Josh Brownhill underrated? I I, I accept what you mean. Like underrated is a very much. It's down down to your opinion, whether they're underrated Mm. or not. And people will argue that he's not necessarily underrated. And I think Josh Brownhill's earned plenty of praise this season to want him not being on the underrated side of the scale. But I I can maybe see where you're coming from. Um, My most underrated player. Another player I, I think I've mentioned this season, but a huge fan of him, is Ben Sheaf. And I... Benchie for Coventry. That is, I remember last season when a lot of Coventry fans were actually quite annoyed that they spent one million or so on him <laughs> because he was on loan from Arsenal before and wasn't an outstanding player. I think they thought he was a bit uh, underwhelming in the middle of the park, and that may have been how Coventry were doing that season as well because they were struggling. They were fighting to stay up, but they spent one million on him, and that's now looking like a very worthwhile. Because he was great last season. A contender at least for Coventry's player of the season. I don't know who actually won it in the end. But this season he's been even better and taken his game to the next level. No player has made more tackles and interceptions than him this season. He has dominated midfields on so many occasions. But even more impressively, only seven players have completed more progressive passes than him. And we've been raving about Ollie Norwood this season and how good his numbers are statistically. I tell you what, Justin, Ben Sheaf's not far off. And then, of course, with Coventry, you've got the Holy Trinity who steal the headlines on a regular basis. Victor Yarkress scoring all the goals. Callum O'Hare, you know, creating chances with his electric dribbles. And Gustavo Hamer with his brilliant playmaking ability, but also snapping people. Ben Sheaf makes this Coventry team tick over. And he's not the kind of player who's going to score goals. He's not the kind of player who's going to get assists and all that you know, headlining stuff. But when you come to someone who does the side of the game that needs to be done, he's arguably the best in the championship this season just because of the statistics side of games. But every time I've watched Coventry this season, if you keep an eye on him, you can really tell how much of an influence he has on Coventry games. So I'm a huge fan of Ben Sheaf. And another one who I could very easily see eventually being a Premier League player, because I think he's still only 24. He's still got his best years ahead of him and could oh, yeah. be a very, very good player. He reminds me, not he doesn't remind me of uh, this player, but in terms of
0: a player who sits in the midfield, who does the dirty work and allows those those um, other players around him to thrive, Gilberto Silva at Arsenal, um, You know, just, just someone who doesn't necessarily do the dirty work, but he's very neat and tidy, um, allows players around him to really kick up a gear um, and that that mean that reference might be a little bit older for the younger generation, which makes me feel staggeringly old, and I'm not even thirty yet. But
1: yeah, Gilberto. There'll Silva's be some people plays. who will say there'll be some people who will say that Gilberto Silva is nowhere near an older reference for some people. <laughs> <Exactly>. so, <laughs> um But yeah, but the Coventry Gilberto Silva. There you go. You've heard it here first. Um, let's move on to this question from Alex Everson, who asks, which championship sides are most likely to end up in League One in the next two seasons? And I think we'll both have similar answers to this one, Justin. When I look at championship sides who are on a course for League One, I'm looking at the ones who are poorly run. The first one who obviously comes to mind is Cardiff City, who I think will be in League One Or who will be relegated to League One next season if they somehow manage to stay up this season. As time goes on, I'm becoming more and more convinced that staying up this season won't happen. But when you consider things like the amount of debt they've got, how poorly run the club is when it comes to recruiting players, when it comes to appointing managers, it's farcical, Into it? And it doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon unless they get a new manager. But when it comes to other clubs, I mean, Birmingham... Another club who are yeah. very poorly run and despite them, you know, doing a lot better as at the time of recording than um, many people expected them to do before the season began. I could still see that becoming a very realistic possibility that they're going to end up in League One with the current ownership. And then Reading are another side who, again, similar to Birmingham, have upset the odds this season and how well they've done. But because the club is... It's not the hallmark of how to run a football club, is it? I could very easily see them be, end up end up in being in League One in the coming seasons. I don't know about you, Justin.
0: Yeah, they're certainly the, the big fish, aren't they? Um, and then you've got the the Wiggins, the the, the Rotherms, where their budgets aren't particularly competitive. So if they do pull pull through this season, it, it can be quite challenging for their second season to um, to see them, yeah, compete. Um I think you've got other clubs that sit in that category as well where you wanna keep a, you wanna keep one eye on him. Obviously Stoke City are one of them. If they if they manage to, you know, get through this season and, and have a good summer um this 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 summer, um, then you wouldn't expect him to. But they've been knocking or they've they've been on a downward trend for a long time. Um but I, I do think Alex Neal starting to him, you know, put his um put his not his style on it, but his his personality into that team now he's, he's basically trying to overhaul the squad the staff and the club mentality which is important but if it doesn't go right then there's certainly a team who could who could be in and around it Bristol City as well again they've stagnated for a long time and they're coming to a point where um, they're coming to a point where they need to trend upwards or trend downwards um, they can't continue stagnating for as long as they are and they're only going to get weaker in their squad because obviously the likes of Antoine Semenya, Alex Scott they're being linked with other clubs. Whether the club reinvests that money into the squad is another story because they make huge losses. So there, there are they're another two clubs who I, you know, I don't think they would be in danger of going down. Mainly because I think they are well backed. They have, a, you know, a good, a relative. They're, they're relatively, they run relatively good or re- relatively well in the sense that they pay their bills. It's a big start. Um, But there's certainly clubs who um, have stagnated and started to trend downwards in recent years that you'd get a little bit nervous about when that conversation comes up.
1: Yeah, um, I put Bristol City and Stoke in a category of I'm not really sure what direction they're going in. It it might be kind of a parallel line or a vertical line rather and they're just not really going in either direction whereas you've you've got clubs like Cardiff, Birmingham and Reading who aren't going in the right direction in terms of how the club is being run. Maybe Reading are slightly going not as far down as they were before, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is if your club is poorly run, then I will I I would one I, I would nine times out of ten imagine that you're on a course for League One. <laughs> and relegation in the next few years anyway. And then in the complete opposite, Richard Bowen wants to know who we think will be the next teams get promoted to the Premier League who have never been there before. I think there were quite a few teams, really, Justin, who have plenty of potential. Um, But the standout one for me is Luton Town. And the reason I say them is because for some reason in my notes, I put Coventry and Hull, completely forgetting that, of course, they've been in the (laughs) Premier League already. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But for me, Luton are just one of, if not the best run clubs in the country. And going off what I was just saying a second ago, when you're a very well run club, I always think you're on the path to Premier League glory at some point. For a club like Luton, it's going to be difficult because the uh, the championship's becoming more and more a case where the most financially powerful teams and the ones with parachute payments, etc., they're dominating this division, and it's always going to be incredibly difficult for a club like Luton, in particular, with such a small budget, to actually break that mould. But you consider the, you know, the, uh, the trajectory they've been on since coming from League Two to League One to Championship, and that trajectory doesn't look like it's going to stop. So mm. as long as that continues, then I could very. I could definitely see them in the Premier League at some point. It may take a few seasons for that to actually happen. But in terms of well-run clubs who get their recruitment spot on every single transfer window, Rob Edwards seems like he's taken on the Nathan Jones project perfectly and just continued what was happening there. I can 100% see Luton in the Premier League in next five years.
0: Oh, it's, uh, you've-
1: Casting it out wide there, <laughs> but fair Five years, five years is probably a long time, but you, you see what I mean. I, I could definitely see it in the near future.
0: It's a long-term project for Luton, um, and sustainability I think is a first and foremost thing for them. Um, and that's you know for again, I hate using the clubs like you know term, uh, but clubs like Luton where they don't have a big stadium where they can constantly get money in through the door that way through gate receipts etc um, so they, they've got to they've got to think of things they've got to, you know got to run a club slightly differently to others um, and and the way they've been doing it over recent years has been absolutely superb and I, I can see them certainly knocking on the door um, over the next couple of seasons whether they make that step or not it's a very difficult thing to predict but they're, they're a club they in that category the other one is is Millwall um, I've I've been banging the Millwall drum for a long time and I don't think I've been in a top flight since 1989, 1990. Um, so yeah, Millwall would be the club that I throw into it, and it, it feels like this season it's finally clicked that they've been they, they've been close in recent seasons, but this season it, it feels like it's finally clicking that they are capable of making that step up because whilst you've got teams with big budgets in that top six and you compete with teams with bigger budgets and Millwall, I I just think they 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 are good enough to do it. You know, I think if Waveform improves, they can do it. Their team are still defensively very good. They consider just twenty seven this season, for example. Um they've got the likes of Zian Fleming in terms of youngsters, got Danny McNamara, Billy Mitchell, um, Jake Cooper's still there. Sean Hutchinson is still consistent. Goalkeepers maybe a little bit desire, a lot to be desired there. But yeah, it just feels like it's finally starting to click for them. Whether it happens this season or next season, I I, I don't know. But I, I certainly feel that maybe within the next two or three years, they could be one of those clubs that are, um, that are up there. And it would be chaos, wouldn't it? It would be chaos. Lovely, lovely chaos of Millwall in the Premier League.
1: It would be great to see a Luton or a Millwall in the mm-hmm. Premier League, wouldn't it? Just because they are, no disrespect to you, the least Premier League teams out there, aren't they? Uh, but it would be great to see. Um, quick word for your Bristol Cities and Preston, who are been clubs who have obviously not been in the Premier League before, but I've been knocking on the door Mm -hmm. with little success over the past few years. And I wouldn't even put them in the conversation really because, again, they're clubs. I don't really know what direction they're going in. And if you're casting the net out further than Luton and Millwall, I'd probably go for someone like Plymouth, a a club who are very well run in their own right and a a great, exciting young manager in Stephen Schumacher. Um, And I'd probably put them ahead in the queue of... Bristol City and Preston as someone who could maybe break the mould quicker than they can. But who knows? We're, we're talking a few years down the pipeline in that respect. So I think Luton and Millwall are definitely head of the queue. And finally, Max Ayres has asked, what do we think of the standard of refereeing this season in the Championship? I'm going to say something controversial here. And I know I can instantly hear people you know, tapping away at their phones, calling me an idiot online or <laughs> something even worse. I think the standard of refereeing in the championship has actually been quite good this season. You you say, you compare it to previous seasons, Justin, I remember last season in particular, where we were talking about an awful refereeing decision every single week. Mm -hmm. It seems to happen where there was an absolute clangor from a referee um, who obviously should be getting a, a decision right, which everyone can see is clearly wrong, and they've completely messed it up. This season, of course, there's a few... Big examples. One that comes to mind is Cedric Kipre punching the ball away in the South Wales Derby, Um and there, there will be a few other examples as well of uh, you know awful decisions that should have been mm-hmm. given uh, the that should have been given a different way. But I think the standard of refereeing has actually been all right this season, and you know it, it, I think it's a bit lazy at, at times to just constantly criticise the standard of refereeing if you're not going to accept that sometimes it has actually been better because otherwise. You know, nothing changes. So the PGMOL, I don't know what they've done differently this season, but if they have done something differently, then fair play to them. I'd like to think that they've
0: been hard at training over the summer, um and really really got the got got things going. But I think we're very quick very quick to criticise referees for their officiating um when they get something wrong or you know, something's wildly um just not just not correct um so i think it's 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 absolutely fair that we praise them because as i say the only time we talk about refereeing decisions is when they are very contentious we never talk about them when they are not contentious why would we it's it's you know it's it's not really a talking point just because that means the game's flowed nicely so i completely agree with you i think the standard of officiating is, has um, has improved massively um I, I it was exhausting last season talking about, it felt like there was a decision every week where it was just like, that, that was horrendous. Now, you know, I get that uh, supporters will have games and scenarios where, well, what about this? What about this? It hasn't happened as frequently as it did last season. Last season genuinely was almost rock bottom for officiating. It was really, really poor. Um So this season, yeah, I've got to take my hats off. I think it's been steps above, levels above. It, it's been so far... um so far away from that standard they set last season and you've only got to sum it up in that playoff final how bad the officiating was in that playoff Hmm. final and I think that's where it hit rock bottom for officiating in in the AFL even though it was Premier League referee um so yeah I, I completely agree with you Ryan I don't think it's controversial at all I've been impressed with it I can we I think we can sit here with unbiased mindsets and go actually it has been much better. Objectively it's been so much better. We've not spoken about it uh, half as much as we did last season. Um so kudos to uh, the PGMOL um for um yeah, for, for getting for getting things right. Do I will admit that uh, the officiating in league one has been terrible. <laughs>
1: and I know that maybe it's got something to do with you being a Derby fan (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's got something to do with it Um, I'm not sure Nigel Pearson will agree with us but the standard of refereeing has been good this season (laughs) considering they haven't had a penalty in decades Um, but yeah I think it's certainly been better this season Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days including all the latest transfers Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Birmingham have issued a statement to say the club's future is under discussion with regards to a proposed investment deal. The prospective investor has not yet been named. The club say the potential investment involves both St Andrews Stadium and a shareholding in the club. Coincidental that this announcement has come after protests at the weekend, but a shareholding as opposed to a full buyout, I don't think that's going to solve much, Justin. Uh, well, no. Um,
0: and the not the secrecy of it, but the, the lack of transparency just makes me a little bit nervous. Um, I mean, quite rightly so, mainly because of... We've seen the likes of Derby and even Birmingham City and Coventry that just have people surrounding the club that you don't want to be surrounding the club essentially investing. So I think transparency just does work in there. I don't, I'm not really sure whether it sits within the EFL's fit and proper test because shareholders, do they have to go through the same testing as, as owners? I mean, it is the owner's test rather than shareholder's test, so I'm not really sure how that works. But certainly I would hope that some... Um, uh, what's the word? I'm looking for not review, but um, yeah, certainly, yeah, I mean, certainly review over it would would should go shouldn't go amiss from the AFL. Um, should that should that go through? But could be good news. But I think can
1: reserve that for when you know it's confirmed who it is and what they do. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of this announcement, but it's fair to say that with Birmingham fans, it's gone down like a fart in an elevator. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of this, but I'm not sure it's necessarily a big deal. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. On to transfer news now then. Blackburn have completed a loan move for Huddersfield. Sauber Thomas. Two things came to my mind when I saw this Justin. That's a great move for Blackburn. Mm-hmm. And why on earth have Huddersfield done this? Um he's he's not been as productive as he was last season. But having said that, only four players have created more chances per game in the championship than him this season. Last season he was a chance creating machine, wasn't he? And if I once again dip into my big bag of cliches, he has got a wand of a right foot, <laughs> hasn't he? And whether that's crossing in or from set pieces, he causes problems for opposition sides. I don't think, I can't recall a player who's got as wicked a cross as yeah. Solba Thomas has. And if they could get him back to playing like he was last season, it could be an unbelievable move for Blackburn. They haven't been creating anywhere near enough chances to sustain good form over the course of a season. And Thomas can seriously help in that department. But I'm not sure what is going through Huddersfield's mind. You're fighting to stay up. You're not the best team going forwards. You need all the help you can get. So why get rid of one of the division's most creative players? The only thing I can think of is maybe they think his heart's not in it when it comes to keeping them up, and he's told them he wants to leave. I don't know, Justin. I, I really do not know.
0: I am perplexed by it. When this move came about, I was like, <laughs> "Good one. What a what a rumour that is." And then I read the source, and it was a good source. And I was like, okay, well, this is horrendous for Huddersfield. Um, I know Huddersfield fans will say that. Um, yeah, he's, he's not like you said. You know, he's not. He's not been at his best this season. They, they've um, they've brought in Anthony Nokia and that could that could plug the gap. No, it, it won't. Samba Thomas still is Huddersfield's best creator this season. His underperformance doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily sit with him. Huddersfield have underperformed genuinely as a, as a team this season. They haven't been converting enough chances, so allowing your best creator to go um, is is it's just it's a one way ticket down to League One for me. To be really blunt about it, I just don't think there's anyone at that club that can do what he can um, at this stage in their career. Um, it's it's like me selling my car and wondering why I'm not getting to my destination quicker because I'm having to get the bus, you know. Huddersfield are not going to score goals or create chances without Sorba Thomas in that team. And let's be honest, they don't create enough from open play. Their biggest creator this season has been from set pieces. Who's the best set piece taker in the league? Sorba Thomas. So why do it? Why shoot yourselves in the foot like that? Such a such a bad decision. Out of interest, what car is Sorba Thomas? Um, what car is Sorba Thomas? I mean, he's someone who can excite you. Um, and get you going but he can leave you a little bit um, frustrated at times you know, it might break down so maybe I'm trying to think of a you know a snazzy car that will break down Bentleys are, are known for being a little bit um, temperamental um, but that might be a bit too far so maybe like a, an
1: Alfa Romeo Giulietta maybe something like that. There you go. You're hit here first, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Burnley have signed South African striker Lyle Foster. He's joined for an undisclosed fee from Belgian side Westerlo and has agreed a four and a half year deal. 22 years old. He scored eight goals in 21 games this season. Don't know too much about him and that goal record isn't a mind blowing tally. But considering Burnley's recruitment and how well Vinnie Comps has done with turning relatively unknown players into stars, it wouldn't surprise me if he turned out to be absolutely quality. Plus... They need a striker, don't they? Because mm-hmm. J-Rod and Ashley Barnes they've been very good this season haven't they? But that's probably the one position in this Burnley team that you look at and go they could do better in. Yeah. So yeah, not surprising to see them fork out for a striker. Watford have made another signing from Benfica. 21-year-old striker Henrique Arajo has joined for an undisclosed fee. He's most he's played most of his games for Benfica B, but has played quite a few games for the first team, including in the Champions League. Last season, he scored three goals for the first team in just 129 minutes, and then also scored 14 goals for the B team in the Portuguese second tier. Watford could do with a striker, couldn't they? So, mm-hmm. let's see what he's got. Meanwhile, William Truster Kong has left Watford to join Salernitana in Italy on loan. Not sure why they've done that, because they're a bit thin on the ground when it comes to defenders, but we shall see. Jordan Hugill has joined Rotherham on a free. He signed a deal until 2026. I think this is a decent move, Justin, but Mm -hmm. I can't help but think Rotherham have a lot of big physical strikers who aren't very prolific. Yeah, it's
0: a a fair point. I I like Hugill a lot. Um, I know he gets a bad rap from West Brom fans because he was absolutely hopeless at West Brom. Um, But he was actually pretty decent at Cardiff in that same season last season, so... Yeah, I think he's, he's unfairly criticised a fair bit. And even at QPR, he's learned about it at QPR was 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 very effective as well. He does get you goals at championship level and he is a big physical striker uh, and he will cause defences a headache. Um, I've got nothing but praise for the signing. Um, contrary to what Rotherham fans have been saying recently about us criticising them all the time, we don't. This is a good signing. I would just hesitate at the three and a half year deal. He'll be thirty-four by the time that deal ends. So I think the main motivation for him was perhaps the length of the contract um, on offer compared to maybe other clubs, because there were clubs in for him. Um, Birmingham Derby were, in, were were linked as well. So yeah, it's a top top signing, really good signing. Really
1: impressed with it, and it's yeah, it could it could help them stay for relegation. Todd Cantwell has left Norwich after fifteen years at the club. He's joined Rangers in a permanent deal. I've never really got Todd Cantwell just in. He did well for them in the Premier League the first time around, didn't he? But I didn't think to myself this guy's going to be the next big thing and his career's gone on the wayside ever since. That's been shown by this season. He's only started nine games for Norwich. Has flashes of brilliance, do But they've been few and far between for quite a while now. So mm-hmm. maybe a fresh start kick kickstart his career. Blackpool have signed defender Charlie Good on loan and excused upon, but I think this is a really good signing, Justin. Uh, you were saying before that Blackpool needed a centre half, didn't you? So here he is.
0: I I'm, I sit on the fence with this signing mainly because he just hasn't played many games at Championship level. I know he's at Brentford and Sheffield United, but I think he sits in and around the twenty game market at, at uh, Championship level. Um, his loan spell at Sheffield United last season was pretty poor. He got a red card as well. He made two appearances um, and. He made a handful of um appearances for Brentford as well. I think if anyone's going to get a, you know get enough out of a player, um it's Mick McCarthy. I do rate his man management ability. Um and he I do think Blackpool will pay three at the back, and Charlie Good will certainly sit at the centre of that um that back three if they do. Got a long throwing as well, so that's another asset. But I sit on the fence with it. I think there might have been better
1: players, but certainly for Brent uh, Blackpool's budget, Charlie Good's probably a good signing. I'm fully aware that there's still transfer window closed on Tuesday, doesn't it? So less than a week to go of the transfer window. So a few days. But I think Blackpool have had an incredible transfer window. You've got Josh Bowler, Morgan Rogers up top, Tom Tribal in midfield and Charlie Good at the back. They've strengthened all different areas of the team with those four signings. And they have significantly strengthened without you know, completely overturning the squad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's as ideal a transfer window as you can do, really, at this level. I mean, the attack in the case of Bowler and Rogers is so much stronger than it was before the window yeah, yeah. started, isn't it? And all four of those signings that I mentioned would have been good moves, I think, from mid-table championship side at least. And we're saying this about Blackpool, who are second from bottom, bringing in these players. It's mm-hmm. quite incredible, really. And other teams down there haven't strengthened at all. You look at Cardiff, for example, who haven't done anything, and uh, other examples like Wigan, who haven't really done much either. So, I think Blackpool's chances of staying up have been massively enhanced over the past few weeks with their January business and getting Mick McCarthy in as well, who's a wily old fox. I think they've got a very good chance of staying up now, despite them being second for bottom. Stoke have been loaned Wolves goalkeeper, Matias Sarkic. They needed a goalkeeper, didn't they? Because Joe Bursic's gone, Jack Bonham's Simply not good enough, if you ask me. So this makes sense. Plus, Sarkic was brilliant at times mm. for Birmingham last season. Speaking of goalkeepers and Wolves, Dan Bentley's left Bristol City to go to Wolves in a permanent deal. He'd fallen out of favour at Ashton Gate. The Robins have brought in Israeli shot-stopper Nikita Haiken on a deal until the end of the season. He's been a free agent after leaving Bodo Glimt in Norway. Sunderland have brought in West Ham midfielder Pierre Equa in a permanent deal he's a big strong lad 21 years old mainly a box-to-box midfielder can also play in defence Sunderland have a good record recently of picking up fairly obscure young players, turning them into first-teamers, so will not be a surprise to see the same happen here. And Millwall goalkeepers Bartosz Bielkowski, George Long and Connell Truman have all signed new contracts in classic Millwall fashion. They haven't said how long the contracts are, so we'll just have to sit here and guess. In injury news, Swansea goalkeeper Stephen Bender could be out for the rest of the season with a significant knee injury. He has been their number one this season before being forced to come off against QPR at the weekend. And finally, Cardiff's search for a manager continues after sacking Mark Hudson. Ex-Forest boss Sabli Lamushi is someone who's emerged as a potential candidate, according to the BBC. I like the wording of that emerging, like he's Mm. just come out of the shadows (laughs) or slowly come out of the floor out of nowhere. Uh, Interesting, but I'm not totally convinced, Mm. Justin, I, I like Lamouchi. I think he's a good tactician,
0: but his Forest team didn't create many chances. Um, they were very effective. They were very good defensively, much like Cardiff are at the moment. Um, but they just didn't create enough chances. So I don't know if he's the man to get them scoring goals, because that's literally the, the main downfall of Cardiff, is scoring goals. Um, the fact that Huddersfield have only scored a handful of goals under Mark and from open play and they scored still scored more goals than Cardiff this season it says a lot about Cardiff's ability to create chances um, so yeah that's the main issue they need to find a, a manager who can
1: get something out of that,
0: final, uh, that forward
1: line yeah Sam Allardyce is still the bookies favourite the last time I checked for some reason I cannot see that happening for the life of me because yeah, Cardiff do not so have hard. much money has he ruled himself, has he? Yeah, well, he did, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know why he's the Bucky's favourite then. Um maybe that's because there's a lack of options there. Um I, I think questions have got to be asked, Justin. What are Cardiff doing? Because Mark Hudson was sacked nearly two weeks ago now, once it, and they still don't have a new manager, nor does it look like they're particularly close to getting one. As as well as that, they haven't signed anyone. And Cardiff were one of the clubs who desperately needed to get new players in in January, and they haven't. Well, Most of the clubs around them, you know, your Blackpools, Huddersfields, Rotherham, etc., all these clubs have strengthened, many of them significantly, and Cardiff are left there with a squad that's still not good enough. They haven't got a manager, and Cardiff are just sat there doing nothing in the middle of the road while this huge lorry called (laughs) relegation is coming flying towards them. It's flashing its lights, honking its horn, but Cardiff's just staring at it like, what's that? And it's just completely mind-blowing how poorly run this club is. And I think I think this is a perfect example of that. There's absolutely no excuse for them not to have at least signed someone. Maybe getting the right manager in, I can possibly understand that, but not even signing a player. I know they had a transfer embargo for the first week or so of the window, but still, yeah, I just don't get it. May I remind
0: you, they have registered a player, so that counts. We're taking small wins here. Mark McGuinness has been registered into the club after his recall from Sheffield Wednesday. So, hey, give them the dues,
1: the board. They got him back, eh? Yeah, I'm sure that's going to help with uh, (laughs) being one of the lowest scorers in championship history. (laughs) Uh, Right, now it's time for this. he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Did He or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the Championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking the turns to guess them and we keep the scores as the season goes on. This week it's my turn to guess and my tolly, my colleagues' turn to provide the players and clubs But the scores 88 to Justin Peach. Justin, you told me a couple, of ga- a couple of days ago that your goal... With Diddy or Dinty this week was, in your words, to make me fucking cry. Why is mm-hmm. that? Um, because you get so wound up and bitter
0: uh, some of my suggestions that it genuinely
1: um it it makes me happy. Out of it. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad i make you happy in some way, <laughs> shape or form. Um as always I'm gonna do my tactic of just going head first into whatever answer. It is. I'm not sure if it's actually working for me, but here we are. Uh, first one, please, Justin. The first one is Chris Eagles and Blackpool. Yes, correct. Seven appearances yeah. in 2014. Yeah, I knew that one. That's how. It's that one of the only clubs I actually linking with Bolton, Man U, Blackpool. But he only made seven appearances for them. That's did he nonsense. move there? For, did he move there for a fairly big fee? No. It was that season where Blackpool's had everybody on the board, on the books. Well, that, that's it. That also helps that Blackpool yeah. have signed half <laughs> the country. Try the next one. Yes, please. Glenn Murray and Bolton. Oh, God. Um, well, my first instinct was no, so I'll go no. Okay, yeah, you're right. I made that one up. I think I may be getting it mixed up with Aaron Wilberham. But, but the reason I didn't say no straight away is because something came in my head saying, hang on a minute. So, yeah. Two out of yeah. two. Quite quite easy to mix up those uh, those big number nines who
0: have had hair transplants, isn't it? <clears throat> <laughs> Chris
1: Kirkland and Doncaster. <laughs> you can't just carry on I'm <laughs> halfway through chuckling. Uh, Chris Kirkland and Doncaster, uh, I'm saying yes, because that does ring a bell.
0: It doesn't ring a bell, though, does it? You're making this up. He made one appearance on loan in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> three out of three. Next one, please. Michael Tonga and Burnley. Yes.
1: Incorrect, I made that one up. Yeah. Not not a player who I'm particularly familiar with, I've got to say. Next one, please. Alan Tate and Plymouth. Three out of four, by the way. Alan Tate and Plymouth, yes. Incorrect, I made that one up as well. Great. Three
0: out of five. (laughs) Next one is Robbie Blake and Birmingham City.
1: Yes. Are you sure? they your final answer. I might be getting him mixed up with someone else. I'm thinking Keith Tracy, but I'm going to say yes anyway. He made 11 appearances in 2005. Yeah, that that one did ring a bell. 2005? Yeah. Okay. I don't this know. who, the only I, was think- who the only I was thinking. who our team didn't really score goals at. Was, um, was that number six? That was.
0: Six. Yes, it was. Six. Four out of six. Jack Hunt and Rotherham yes are you sure no <laughs> I'm saying yes though yeah he had a loan spell in 2015 I put this one down as a made it up but then I checked his career history and he actually did so I was hoping
1: how that. many How many appearances 15 I think off the top of my head yeah I, I do relatively recall that one uh, 5 out of 7 Silverbacks, Blake and Preston yes Are you sure, instinct was yes, but I'm, I'm struggling to recall when that would have been. But I'm gonna stick with mm. yes, I think. Made nine appearances in 2015. 2015? Yeah, that late. I'm actually amazed Sylvania Banks Blake was still playing in 2015. Uh, six out of eight. Six out of eight, it's going well for you. Gary Coldwell and Darby. No.
0: Don't spend in, uh, in 2003 he made seven appearances.
1: Derby don't come up very often on this, do they? <laughs> no. I wonder why. <laughs> Six out of nine. Final one is Nigel Kwasi and Wolves. Oh, God, I do not know Nigel Kwasi's career at all. Pompey, Watford.
0: Watford is he at Watford? I
1: don't, don't know put it on your thing next week I might be getting it mixed up with someone else again there's a lot of interchangeable players on this game Nigel Corsi and Watford uh, Wolves by the way Wolves sorry um, no made three appearances
0: in 2009 I was about to change my mind just at the last minute then. but here we are I- I six out, out of Hayden Mullins quite a lot it's a very, diff, very solid defensive midfielder who played for several teams. quite, I'll tell
1: you, who I'm getting mixed up team. with Gavin Marn. <laughs> yeah, just bold, both, both bold. Yeah. yeah, that's why I was getting it mixed <laughs> up with him. Six out of ten, not a bad score considering. I think that's probably my best score in quite a while, actually. So I'll take that. Uh, 88-86 to Justin Peach. The score for the season. So still very tight here on Diddy or Dinty. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about the three championship games we've got coming up this weekend. We'll also talk about some of the news that happens over the past few days. The transfer window reaches its pinnacle. Um, so we we'll look forward to seeing you then. this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And as always, a huge, huge thank you for listening.